Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Where Do We Begin? Something very different for you guys today. Of course, something that's in the news massively all over the world at the moment is the US election. It's coming up this Wednesday, Australia time and Tuesday, America time. So we've decided to get ourselves an American guest for this episode. He's an NFL player and he goes by the name of John Hillman. Lockie is my co-host. Lockie, what do you have to say about this episode today? Yeah, I'm super excited for everybody to hear it. I feel like we touch on things that we haven't really spoken about in other episodes. We talk about, of course, topical um, political matters such as the upcoming election and Trump. Uh, we discuss Black Lives Matters as well as covering the NCAA and not paying players. Um, I think it's a really awesome episode and it's really insightful. Yeah, uh, now let's just get into that awesome insight straight away, I reckon. Let's go. Let's go. So, uh, as we mentioned in the intro, a very different kind of episode today. Uh, we haven't had, uh, I don't think, anyone from outside Australia on the show before, but I don't think we could resist this opportunity to get uh, the great man on the show today. Uh, he's got a great story with his uh, American football career. He's really into his music and he's got a whole lot else that uh, we're super interested in talking about. So, welcome to the show, Jonathan Hillman. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to, have, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you going today, John? Especially, I guess, with the pandemic, living in New Jersey, and like from what we've heard, like New Jersey and New York was pretty affected. Yeah, yeah, we've been we we got hit pretty hard uh, out here, and we've been taking uh, the governor's done a great job taking precautions and you know the regulations and everything. But it's it's opened up to a certain extent, outdoor dining and. Everyone's, you know, practicing social distancing, wearing masks. So, I mean, we're, it's getting better. But at one point, it was really rough. Yeah, it's crazy over here. Like, we've only got 200 cases in Victoria, which is like the state that we're in, and we're still in full lockdown. Oh, like, you can't go to people's houses. Like, you can only go outside, like, 5 k's of your house is how far you can go. So, it's pretty crazy over here, taking it real wow. seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy times, man. Crazy times. Yeah, what, what kind of restrictions have you got over there? Can you just pretty much do what you want or have you got any restrictions at all? Um, so, yeah, there, there are certain restrictions. Um, but, I mean, for, for the most part, I mean, it's not as locked down as, you know, what you guys are describing. At one point it was, uh, but it, we, we've been opened up. So, I mean, it's a certain amount of people. It's like I think it's about 30% capacity in restaurants for indoor. Outdoor is a little more free. Um you can go certain places. I think you can't have a gathering of more than, I think, I believe it's a hundred people in a certain area, but you know, because it's got to have the six foot, you know, distancing, people have to be able to, to have that. Um, but for the most part, everything's open grocery stores, you know, um, everything, but movie theaters, movie theaters aren't open because they can't find a way to put, you know, six feet between everybody with the chairs and everything, but everything's open. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, even getting people to the NFL games, it's it's pretty cool. Um, my first question is, I just wanted to talk, um, if you could talk about just like growing up in New Jersey and how you got started in football. Yeah, uh, so growing up in New Jersey, I grew up uh, born in Plainfield, New Jersey. It's a small inner city in our central Jersey. Um, yeah, I got into football when I was like five years old. Uh, just been playing ever since then. Um you know, playing Pop Warner or something where I met my best friends, um, you know, where, where I grew up, went to school, went to a private school for football, mainly for football, but academics and football is how I got in. Um, and, you know, did pretty well there, went to Boston College and, and did pretty well then, obviously, in the NFL. But, um, yeah, but growing up, I've been playing football since I was five years old. Um, that's 
you know, my older brothers kind of got me into it. Uh, I was usually, I was very energetic kid, uh, running around and breaking stuff. And they were like, you should probably play, <laughs> should probably, you should probably play football. Like, so, you know, he, they, my oldest brother convinced my, my mom, cause she didn't really want me to play. My mom's, oh, really? I have Island. Yeah. My mom is from Jamaica. My father's from Guyana. So they're oh. soccer, track, cricket, oh. like American oh, cricket, football. Like, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, why, why football? You know, and so I, I just, this is a game. I just fell in love with it. I've been in love with it the same way since you know twenty years ago. So I mean, yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, you mentioned briefly your private school there. We hear a uh, little birdie told us that you actually did Latin uh, for a few years in private school. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, that's a that's a good birdie. That birdie uh, does does well with research. Yeah, uh, we told so. So at, at St. Peter's, the part of the curriculum is uh, two years of Latin. Oh. So, um, and I actually, at the time, so how my mind works is uh, at the time, I'm very good at it. I was very good at it. I, was, I believe I was a, I was a B, B plus student. So I, I was pretty good at it. And uh, I, if you asked me to say a sentence now, I probably couldn't do it <laughs> because it was just like I had to get the information down, memorize it, do well, and just get, get it over with. <laughs> but yeah, at one point in time, I was a Latin scholar. Yeah, I was at one point in time. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm in my last year of school at the moment, uh, public school. But I had to do Latin for a few years as well. So I can tell you, it's not the most interesting subject out there for me personally. Sounds like you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, sorry. I'd never met anybody that had done Latin before, and now I know two people. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, you you've played a few games in the NFL for the New York Giants, and we hear you're a big fan of them, that team growing up. So, uh, can you tell us a bit about your support for that team, which might not be known so well in Australia? Yeah, um, so, I mean, I'm, I grew up a Giants fan. Like I said, I'm from uh, Central Jersey. So being from New Jersey, you either have you either root for the Jets or the Giants, and uh, usually more more people usually well, I, I would say more people usually root for the Giants. Um, and that's kind of how my family was. I mean, every my from my grandfathers to my great uncles to my parents, everybody all had been Giants fans. So when they called me during the draft, it, it was like a dream within a dream, you know, playing in the NFL and being, you know, playing for your favorite team growing up. So I've always had support for the Giants even before being, you know, a player on the team. So that was pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, your whole family went for them, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, something I've always been a bit curious about uh, in the United States, because obviously there's so many big sports. It's a massive sporting country over there, just like Australia, I suppose. Um, does kind of everyone have a football team? Because uh, I know in Victoria, in our state in Australia here, everyone's got an Aussie rules, Australian rules football team. Is it the same in America for American football? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, well, yeah, everybody's got a team. It's very divided. Um, everybody's got a different team. I would say for New Jersey's a weird state because you'll get fans from of every team in the state. Usually in certain states when you're in, say, for instance, um, you're in um, say you're in say you're in Ohio, right? Most people well, usually that state's split down from Cincinnati Bengals or Cleveland Browns. You're if you're in North Carolina or the Carolinas, you're a Panthers fan. That's just what it is. In New Jersey, you'll have Charger fans. You'll have Dallas Cowboy fans. You'll have you know, New England Patriot fans. So it's it's kind of divided, but everybody has their section. 
of who they root for and allegiance, you know, but I would say in New Jersey, it's a little weird. Everybody kind of just, you know, is cool with everybody, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, definitely. So obviously I, your um, high school at uh, St. Peter's Prep, you had a pretty awesome, like, a senior year. Um, what was the decision to go to Boston College like? like? Were there other colleges that you were sort of talking to? Right. Like, I guess what led to that decision? Right. So, I mean, so the recruitment process for me, I'll say it was like two things. So it's like a tale of two cities. So my freshman and sophomore year, I felt like a rock star. You know what I'm saying? All these schools are calling you when you're getting called by – reporters and everything is because I, I was a, like a blue chip recruit so I was pretty uh you know pretty known throughout the country for football uh thankfully and so I was getting schools from the likes of USC to Alabama to where, wherever right and so freshman year and sophomore year was cool junior and senior year I, I got so tired of it it was got you know what I'm saying I kind of wanted to make a decision so my senior year in the summer I actually committed to my home state school Rutgers and I, I committed to Rutgers at first. Um, during that during that time, uh, I tried to focus more on the season, my senior year. Uh, so I kind of kept it on hold. But there was a lot of things that a lot of things that were going wrong uh, during that time. So ultimately, I ended up decommitting two months before signing day to go to Boston College. And some of the reasons why I chose to go to Boston College, that I felt comfortable, was just the academics, uh, the, just the mix of the academic. Uh, um, excellence as far as, you know, the respect of the football program, the respect of the athletics department, um, just the overall feel. It was only about three hours and 45 minutes, four hour drive from New Jersey. So it wasn't too far. My parents and friends can, co- can come watch and visit if they wanted to. Um, it, it, you know, just Boston was a pretty dope city. Uh, but I had a lot of fun in Boston. You know, when, when I was when I was 21, when I was 21, I was able to go do it. I had a lot of fun in uh, Boston. Um, and you know, I have some, met some great people there, just great people, great alumni base, great, you know, a lot of support. So, I mean, I felt really comfortable making that decision. It was a lot of factors. It wasn't just like, uh, you know, just roll the dice or just flip the coin. I kind of, you know, really, uh, went in and, you know, did my research and it felt like it was the best fit for me as far as, you know, what I wanted to do on the field and off the field. So. Yeah, it's interesting you touched on alumni. I was just going to jump in quickly. Like Jared Dudley, he went to Boston College, didn't he? And he won the championship early on in the week. Right, right, he did. That's a, that's a BC Eagle. So we got we got we got a, we got a champ. <laughs> <laughs> How good's that? Yeah, yeah. When you went there, was it all just like football, football, football on your mind, or did you kind of go in there bearing in mind like another job you could possibly have in the future and preparing for that? Right, right. So. Um, so I've always uh, been told, like, um, how do I put this? So I was blessed to be around people who have both sides, who've been on both sides of, this, of you know, this whole you know, profession, right? So I've had, you know, family members, God, brothers, um, cousins who've gone to the NFL, who are in the NFL right now, or have gone to the NFL, and maybe some that are still playing and there's some that it just didn't pan out. And so they had that backup plan so that I was always taught to have that mentality that just in case it doesn't work out or maybe it works out or, you know, and you have a 10 year career and everything, but always have a backup plan. So me personally, I came into college with the mentality that be open to a lot of different things. And I learned that from my, I learned that from my high school, part of, you know, the whole pillar 
of Jesuit with education is to be open to growth. And that was just one of the things that I said that I'm going to go into this new experience with an open mind, uh, talk to a bunch of different people, you know, hang out with a bunch of different people, try everything at least once, everything positive at least once. Um, and just you know, be open to everything. So I kind of came into there knowing that okay, I do well in school. I'm going to try to, you know, talk to, you know, leverage different networks and things like that. And, and as well, <laughs> you know, dominating on the football field, because ultimately, you know, the main, the main reason why I came here. <laughs> do you find that maybe a reason that you had such success at college is just the fact that you had that balance. I feel like just recently, especially with like the NBA um, bubble, as well as down here, we have something similar for our Australian rules football, just players, the feedback has been like, it's just such a grind thinking nonstop about that sport. Whereas you, you had your football, but then also you focus on your academics, you had your music. Do you think that balance really allowed you to not, I guess, have all your eggs in one basket and really just, and just not get too focused on football? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, for sure. It allowed me to think um, outside the box. It allowed me to not, first of all, not, for, well, the easiest thing allowed me not to just be bored. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like just <laughs> watching film, lifting, taking care of your body, eating right, practicing, obviously. But, you know, and after that, it's what else are you doing, right? You know what I'm saying? So it allowed me to just, that balance allowed me to take my mind off of football and, and fo- focus on academics or my social life or things like that. You know, talk to people, network with people outside of the locker room. It allowed me to, you know, to get a full, well-rounded experience. And ultimately, it helped. And me taking my mind off of football and doing other things, it only allowed for me to, you know, want to play football more. You know what I'm saying? And miss, make me miss it, make me, you know, get be more excited when I came back to it ultimately yeah. allowed me to play better. So it just, it just all, it all balances out. That balance is critical. It's key. And that's something I would tell young players is to try to get out and do that. And don't be so one track minded or tunnel vision to just be like, ah, I got I got my goal. I want to be a football player. That's all I want to do. You know, open yourself up, be confident in your abilities of being a football player, but open yourself up to do other things. I mean, I think ultimately you have a dope experience. Now with, Speaking about all this college stuff, but I've realized that uh, most of our listeners from Australia, obviously some of them might not even know about the college system So, because it's not something we, we, we really have here in terms of sports right. in Australia. So can you explain the college system going up uh, through that system and then going to the NFL for us? Yeah, so so the college system, um, so when you, when you play big time, so there's different systems. It's like Division One, Two, Three, and then NAIA, which is kind of a little one step under Division Three. So I played division one. I was blessed to play division one and it was major division one. And so you're, so you're, you're having about 14 hour days. Um, you, when you wake up in the morning during the season, you'll wake up in the morning about six o'clock, well, five thirty, six o'clock, you go in meetings, you have breakfast meetings, get tape, go to practice for about two hours, get off, um, you know, listen to, you know, cr- critiques and feedback for film, watch it. Okay. After that, take a shower, go to something we call training table, which is, you know, lunch for about an hour or 30 minutes or so. Then you got classes for about four to six hours, depending on your schedule. Then you may have study hall in between that time. Cause you have a certain amount of time that you have, that you have to have when the week is up, you know what I'm saying? So maybe eight hours a week, four hours a week, six hours a week, depending on how well you're doing in school. You know, so that and then your day is done for maybe, you know, maybe you're done at about eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Right. And then you go and you do that 
every day. So then game day comes around Saturday. It's a little more chill, no classes. Friday, you might not be classes. Saturday, you play the game. You get yourself ready, play the game. Ah, you win, you go party, you lose, you cry, whatever. And then you do that cycle over and over again. So that is the college thing. And, there's, and so that's during the season. During the spring, there's something called spring ball. Spring ball is totally different. There's no actual game each week. It's just scrimmaging. Everything is inner squads. Everything is between your team. So you may have a, a scrimmage or a game-like situation throughout, you know, spring practices and things like that on certain days, scrimmage days. Usually for us, it was Saturday because we want to emulate Saturday during the regular season. So we did that. And then at the end, we'll have a big spring game where fans will come watch and, you know, other athletes come watch and students. And it's kind of like a big deal. And that kind of ends the spring session and you go into training and things like that. So when you go to the pros, there is no school. So it's just football, 24-7, 365. Like, it's just ball. That's your job. You Some people, most people get paid, you know, a good amount of money, six, seven figures. Some people get paid ridiculous amounts of money to do it. Like, it's like, that is what you do. And so you wake up in the morning, you're taking care of your body. It, you're taking care of your body. You're, you're going to meetings, you're eating breakfast, you're on the field, you're studying film, and then you're going home. That day is really short. It's not a 14 hour day. It, it might be, you may have a, you may have maybe a six or eight hour day and you're back home. And a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's pretty much on you. So the difference between college and pro is that in the pros is more so on you. You don't have people telling you, yeah, do this, be here, be there. If you're late, they, no one yells, no one screams. They just, they just find you. Like you just pay, <laughs> like you got to pay because you're late. Like there's nobody waking you up in the morning, getting mad, checking classes. Not nah, everything's on you. You're gro- This is like big boy. It's big boy football. You know what I'm saying? It's big. It's pretty much life. So that's the difference I would say between college and pros that it's more so on you to get yourself ready, to get yourself motivated, to get yourself, um, to get yourself ready for, you know, the, the task at hand for that week. Yeah, definitely, mate. It sounds at college, like you're pretty much, it's like, sounds like 20 hour days. It sounds absolutely hectic. And obviously in the college system, you can't get paid. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it'll change anytime in the future? <laughs> so I have, so I have a, a, a unique story <laughs> with that. So to answer your question, yes, I do. hundred percent, 200 percent think the player should get paid. 200 percent. Now, how to divvy, how do we do we de- how do we you know delineate who gets what is up to the the people that are off the field right that ha- handle all that so my little anecdote uh, so it was my it was my freshman year we're playing louisville i had a pretty good game but we ended up getting you know we ended up getting pre- beat pretty bad and then we're out the game and i'm sitting there with my best but my three friends at the time I'm not going to put them on blast, but they they know who they are. If they see this, when they see this, they know who they are. And we're sitting there talking. And I noticed in my friend, he noticed that there was a couple kids that are wearing my jersey with my name on it. So I'm looking and I'm like, and I noticed, and then I look around and I noticed like, at the end, I noticed 10 little kids with my jersey on it. My, my jersey, last name and everything. So after coach is talking and we, you know, every, you know, he's pissed off, he's yelling, we got blown out, whatever. We break it down as a team and then we go to our lockers and stuff like that, get our, take a shower, get ready to leave. So we look up, we look up 
how much does it cost to get one of those jerseys like customized right because we don't have we didn't have last names on the back of our jersey my freshman and sophomore year so that would have to be customized so we looked and for youth size it was a hundred dollars for 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 regular like an adult it was 175 dollars so I'm like, I just looked and saw a thousand dollars that I should have been, that I should have got, I should have had something to do with that a thousand dollars in there. And during that time, my freshman year, we weren't getting stipends. It, that didn't happen until my junior year, because when they made the rule that we got a, something, right? Um, so my freshman year, and then and so we're we're walking back to the. We didn't at the time we had a, it wasn't unlimited food on our card yet, so we got money for the week. So we ran out of money for our food. So at the time we're we're pinching our money together to get like two medium two large pizzas. Uh, and we walk, after a loss, we're walking back to our dorm like, okay, let's see. Does it go to a you have pizza? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We no, we 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 ended up getting we ended up getting it because we put two we 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 put our money together to get the two large pizzas and the drinks. But we're like, wait a minute, we just played a game. I just looked and saw my jersey on these kids. Like, and I can't even get no food. So that that ultimately was one of the biggest reasons why people are fighting for it. Um, I saw a ridiculous stat the other day during COVID when it was really, really hitting in, in America was that Alabama, the state of Alabama would lose eight billion dollars if the Crimson Tide don't play a season, if Alabama doesn't play a season this, this year. That's one season. Eight billion dollars in revenue. That's crazy. <laughs> that 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 those numbers are astronomical, and then for anyone to think that they shouldn't get a piece of just a piece. Now, I'm not saying pay them like NFL players, but because they're still students at the end of the day, but they got to get a piece of that. Like they got to get a, a piece of that pie, whether it's something, whether it's a wage that gets taxed or something. But you got to give them something. Like that's that's always been. And my father, he was a, a Division One athlete. And he feels the same way, the same exact way. He's like, look, they should get paid. And he's from the, he played at the time where it, that was unheard of. Like players getting paid, people would laugh at you if they thought that was the case. They had it way worse. And he's like, yeah, you, they should have been paid. Everyone should have got paid. Mate, yeah, 100%. Oh, mate, that's crazy. Like, what would happen? Just say, like, you finish a game and you just, like, because you might get a new jersey every week. If you just put your, chucked your jersey up on eBay to sell, would you get in trouble for that? For yeah, selling you, your game you, day you would be up for, you would be up for uh, what, what it's called, you'd be ineligible. So you'd be considered, uh, so only professionals can do that. Right. So, crazy. It, so you would be considered doing, you, you have stepped outside of amateurism is what they call it. As a, as a college and high school and anything behind being a pro, you're an amateur. So you would be considered an amateur. Like you can't sign an autograph for, mo- for money. You can't sell and auction things off. You can't sell. You can't even, you can't even say if you, if you're, be- if you're one of your, you know, younger, your best friend's younger brother is like, Hey, I'll pay you. I, I need cleats for the season. I'll pay you. I'll pay you $20 for your cleats. Okay. Ineligible. <laughs> it's that yeah, it's, it's, it's that insane it's that insane yeah it's that's it's insane, yeah. the rules the rules have to change the rules have to change and there has been people were making strides but it's we're still we're still got a long way to go yeah for like 99 percent of the big sports around the world because college is absolutely massive of course amateurism is just like 
something considered like part of the olden days, but clearly in the college system, that's just, as we said a million times, it's just crazy. And like considering the massive crowds you get as well, uh, just like not being able to make any money from it, it's, yeah, insane, yeah, really. Yeah, it is. It is. That's the best. That's the most respectful way to put it, insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez, but what's it like playing in front of those big, massive crowds in the college system, oh. just like leaving aside the pay issue for a sec? What's it like? Oh, man, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's just like, it's unbelievable. I, it's, it's unbelievable, really. It's, it, it, it can really only go two ways for you. If you're, if you're like, it can either really frighten you or it can just really excite you. It always used to excite me. To this day, still. It always, always used to excite me. I consider myself a quiet, laid-back type of person, so I'm not really somebody that likes to step inside the light. You know, I play well, and, if, and that's how, you know, I garner my attention. But, um, no, nah, that excites me. I love play. I love crowds. I love you know, feeding off that energy. I love, you know, I, even though I never hear the cheers when I'm running, it's, I never hear them because I'm in like my own little whatever. But I, my friends afterwards, they tell me, yo, they were so loud. Yo, I, that's unbelievable what you did. Do you know what you just did? I said, nah, I don't. I wasn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't really there. I was just like, I was there, but I wasn't there. I was somewhere else. So, I mean, um, yeah, but the crowds are awesome. The support's always great. Um, it's, it's, it, it definitely helps. It brings it brings out a lot. It brings out a lot for players. Yeah. Just quickly, what what are the uh, like average crowd numbers in the college system for football games? So for us, our uh, average for us, so our stadium held about fifty thousand of stand people, um, and we would usually get like forty ish, thirty ish. Like usually, it's a lot. If there was sold out games, it would be fifty. But that was like a pretty good size i would say um usually some of the, the biggest one the biggest ones are like penn state they have usually over a hundred thousand at times ohio state big 10 schools like michigan and you know alabama is like a hundred thousand eighty thousand but yeah but usually we would go to other other teams like florida state they had about eighty five thousand uh packed crowds so ooh, it was a lot of people a whole lot of people that are uh, that are either cheering for you or wanting you to do very bad. So it, whatever, however you see it, they're making noise. So that always gave me energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just want to touch on your first um, two years of college. Obviously your freshman year was awesome. You broke a lot of records at Boston College, but then in your sophomore year, you got injured and were only managed to play four games. Like, How right. did you go from that high of that f- first year to, I guess, the lows of the injury in the second year? Oh man, it, that was, that was tough. So that first, that sophomore year, um, that was the first time I've ever been hurt in anything. I've never, I've been an Ironman. Um, even to this day, I've, I've been an Ironman as far as, you know, being healthy. I mean, God has allowed me to, you know, be healthy. Right. And, um, and so during that time, it was like a culture shock. I didn't, I didn't really know what to do i didn't really know i i'd never been hurt so i didn't know how to even i didn't even know if i didn't really want to go to practice i felt like i was in the way you know what i'm saying like i i i never really been there before you know and because like freshman year i mean doing well that was kind of i mean i was blessed to have it i'm very thankful for freshman year very thankful for the things that i was able to accomplish with the players that you know i was able to accomplish that with 
But not to be smog or anything, but I was used to playing well. You know, that's what I came to to college to do. That was I to play well. So it wasn't like I was, you know, yeah, toot my own horn and yeah, I'm the man. I, I, that was that was part of the plan. I was part of to start out and then you know keep going and make yourself uh, a household name in, at Boston College. So it was going on schedule. So off my year, that's when I was like, whoa, you know what I'm saying. So during that time, it was tough. It was really, really tough. And for a while, it was a lot of negative thoughts for a while. Um, I was, I, I lost a lot of weight at the time. I uh, wasn't getting a lot of sleep. It was rough. It, it was really rough. I, uh, I was, if I, if I was, if I knew that I was depressed, I mean, maybe during that time, looking back, I would say, yeah, I mean, it, if, you know, you go to a therapist or, you know, a psychologist, they'll probably say, yeah, you were depressed during that time. Yeah, I believe them. Um, you know, it was tough, but, um, and that's kind of where, you know, I, I, you know, but I went into just tapping into a different crowd. Right. So I wasn't playing ball. I was more into school. Um, I was doing my rehab. I was more into school and I started to tap into other things like music, getting into music for real, um, to a certain extent. Um, and hanging up with other people. I mean, my sophomore year, I mean, it was a rough year, but if that year didn't happen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have met some of the greatest friends that I've had to this day. And I still visit them. I still talk to them. I was just with one of my friends and just with one of my friend groups in Connecticut, you know, for her birthday, she knows who she is. And (laughs) so that it's kind of, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise, right? It's bittersweet because like I wasn't playing ball. And if I was playing ball and having a great year, I probably wouldn't have met them. I probably would have just, they would have just blended in the crowd. I would have just kept going and doing my thing. But that year I got hurt and I was able to meet new people and do other things. And it helped me miss football again and really get back into, you know, our having a, a good season and going on and, and picking up where I left off. So, yeah, it was tough, but I, I, I figured it out. I, I figured it out and with a lot of help. And, and But, yeah, I ended up figuring out and doing pretty well. Yeah, you spoke about your kind of dark days with your mental health uh, briefly there. Um, it would just be so, so easy to get so low and down yourself and that kind of thing. But did you have any kind of coping strategies or techniques that you used to kind of boost your self-esteem, I guess? Uh, well, simple. Uh, it's, it's simple but deep, God. <laughs> like, I don't mean to get religified, but I, I come from uh, – you know, well, you know, religious and spiritual family. Uh, my grandfather's an apostle. My my parents were ministers growing up. So I, my mom would always send me gospel music. I love gospel songs. I love gospel. We grew up listening to it before rap. Um, so she'd always send me different ones, just you know, to, and you know, just for encouragement and things of that nature. And uh, they they helped me a lot. I have friends who were also you know Christian athletes. I joined a, a Christian faith group with athletes in action during that time where I got really close to a, a couple people who are in the NFL to this day, teammates and other, you know, athletes who are professionals uh, in their, in their fields. And I was able to meet other athletes uh, from different, um, different schools who were also in the, the, um, the whole group. So that, that, that definitely helped me um, a great deal. It definitely helped me a great deal. But um, another thing I would say is just kind of doing things to take my mind off and doing things that I, I loved, other things like music, like I said, music. Uh, being in the studio again during that time when I was 19, um, 
it kind of brought me back to the first time I started writing, you know, poetry, writing rhymes and, you know, rapping at the lunch table in middle school or rap battles in high school and the lock <laughs> in the locker room, freestyle sessions and stuff like that, where it's just for play. And it just kind of brought me back to those like really, really good times, you know, it was like those great times. So being in the studio, rapping and creating and thinking with the other side of my brain, you know what I'm saying? Like being an athlete, it's one side. You like you're here, you're, you're, you're repetition, repetition, repetition. Okay. You're working, you're working certain muscles. When you're in the studio, it's a totally different it's repetition, but it's different. It's more creative. It's more, it's just a whole, it's similar, but it's, it's just a whole different creative process. And so that helped me out a lot and just hanging with other people. That, that was another thing it's hanging with different, different people with different perspectives, people with different, you know, uh, mentalities, different schedules, different, um, you know, yeah, different schedules and different systems of how they go about their day, you know, just learning different things from other people and uh, how they do things, how they hang out, what they do on weekends. Those things definitely help pass the time. Um, and they made the days not feel so long, you know, like they were when I first got hurt. And so, yeah, that those things definitely help. Yeah, all of those things. Okay, so we're jumping ahead a little bit here. So it's the end of your four years at Boston College and you make the decision to transfer to Rutgers. Is that how you say yes, it? Yes, yeah, Rutgers, yep. Yeah, yeah. So in New Jersey, I guess playing in your backyard, could you talk about that as well as how you earned the nickname Pop Pop? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Raheem, I'm going to kill you. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I ended up graduating in Boston College three and a half years, four seasons, uh, just felt like it was time to make a change. Uh, at the time, uh, I was getting a lot of phone calls to enter the NFL. Mentally, I, I just wasn't there yet. Um, I didn't have the season that I, I wanted my, my senior season, the season that I felt that I should have had. Um, and it's nobody's fault. Nobody's fault. But it's just how it went down. And I – so mentally, I just wasn't – I wasn't prepared to prepare – for the biggest interview of my life. You know what I'm saying? The combine, the draft, like I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. And that's just me. And maybe, maybe I should have just, you know, jumped in or whatever, who knows, whatever, maybe 40 years down the line, I guess I'll figure that out. But at the time I just wasn't ready. And I knew my, and I knew that. And so I said, I, I there was opportunities to go 10 places. There were 10 schools that were interested and, and you know, they, they wanted a running back to go in for your fifth year and things like that. And I, I immediately wanted to go to Rutgers. I wanted to go back home. I felt like I want, my friends were home still. They were still in school doing their final semester. Um, my best friends, uh, my family, uh, it just seemed like, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. You know, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Um, and they had a young backfield. And so I felt like, you know, I'll go in there, fit right in, um, be like the elder statesman and go in and, you know, do well and try to, you know, instill some of the things that I learned at Boston college and prep and, you know, in my own life into these young players and help them, you know, grow as, as young men and, and players in this game. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the thought process for that. But yeah, I just felt like at the time I, I, I was just ready to come back home. And that's just ultimately what, you know, I ended up doing. I just made that decision for myself. Yeah, and before you went into the NFL, your last year at Rutgers, I think you went 0-9, which was a bit of a tough year probably, obviously. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us about how, like, maybe your expectations were lowered that season before going to the draft and that kind of thing? Yeah, man, that was a rough, 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 
rough, rough, rough uh, <laughs> series of time, man. If you if you told me that it was gonna go like that, I would I would have not not even like imagined that it could have. It was just. But I mean, that's just the game. The Big Ten is a Big Ten East. The Big Ten Conference, period, you know, is a phenomenal conference. It's the top three conference. Some people may say it's the best. And um, the Big Ten East division of that conference is probably, arguably, the best conference in college football, if you want to say, you know. So you're playing against guys that are playing the NFL every single week. So. It was tough, man. It was tough. And we have a lot of you had a, a lot of young players um, that were in critical positions, and they just they had to grow up too fast and just weren't ready. And uh, so during that time, it, yeah, it made, it made things tough afterwards. But ultimately, like I did when I was hurt, I figured it out. And so you know, just went back to the drawing board, just grinded, and just you know, you know, picked up the pieces and, and, and try to make and try to make some things happen. You know, try to make some things happen afterwards. But yeah, that was a that was a tough time, man. and um so i guess heading so from there i guess heading into the into the draft what were your expectations like had you spoken to many teams did you know where you were going to go or yeah so i i I had a draft grade of from my draft grade was from fifth to seventh round so my agents were talking to me and i was getting talked to by a few agents and they were reaching out and training and everything and so i i had I don't ever expect anything, but I was told by the experts and the analysts that I would be a fifth to seventh round pick. So I didn't know what that meant, but <laughs> I was just like, all right, cool. That's great. Uh, it doesn't mean anything until it actually happens, but all right, cool. That's nice to, nice to put on your resume, I guess. But uh, so that happened and I was training and things like that. And fast forward, I have a great pro day. Uh, test really well workouts you know I, I get a bunch of workouts from you know I get about seven workouts afterwards so I'm working out with seven NFL teams and getting calls and things like that so it's a lot of interest there so I'm thinking okay maybe you know so you know I have a party and things like for a little, just a smaller gathering at my best friend's house and long story short don't get drafted so it's kind of quiet <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of eerie it's kind of oh. eerie like it's like Okay, what, what what's going on here? Like, why two hundred two hundred fifty six guys got picked, and I wasn't one of them. Like, what what's going on? So, um, so yeah, so during that time, um, yeah, I didn't get I didn't get picked, and it wasn't like a, it was just another all right, another thing I had to prove. Like, it's just it, I, I've had to prove myself when I first went to prep. Ended up proving myself. I had to prove myself when I first went to Boston College. I had to prove myself. I knew this was just going to be another thing that I had to do. I just had to prove myself. Things are going to go. At some point in in all those journeys, something went wrong. Something went really good, and then something went wrong. Like, But then you just had to pick up the pieces, right? So that's just what the, the pattern was for my career, for my life at the time. So when that happened, I, you know, Got called by a few teams. The Giants uh, was the third team that actually called me, and I just instantly said, "Yeah, <laughs> just just because I'm a giant." I mean, it just made sense, right? I'm I'm, from, I'm a Giant fan. The Giants called me. Like, I saw, I knew when I saw East Rutherford on the area code. I was like, "Yeah, I'm going here." Like, it's the Giants. That's it. You know what I'm saying? And so that was a, it was a big deal, and everybody was. I told them the news. I got the phone. I told them the news. Everybody just starts cheering and the confetti, and everybody's 
jumping up and down and they're hooting and hollering. And I knew that day that, yeah, I, I was going to be a New York Giant. And so, you know, that next day went back into the training facility that I trained at and we went to work because we knew that, you know, nothing was guaranteed. You had to go and earn it. And, um, you know, that's kind of what, when I was intending on doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Just quickly, uh, who were the other teams that spoke to you? If you don't mind saying. Yeah. Uh, so I was talked to about the, the Chargers, 49ers reached out, uh, the Ravens reached out, uh, before, well, the Chargers and the 49ers were the two teams that reached out before the Giants. Um, the Ravens reached out afterwards, but I was already had accepted to deal with the Giants. But, um, yeah, so they were the teams that, you know, called, well, the first four teams that called on um, the, after draft. Yeah, so tell us, so you you rock up to training, there's Eli Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, growing up as a Giants fan, like, what was that like? I bet, I'm sure he was one of your heroes growing up. Still, like, what was it like? He, he, he still is, man, he still is. He is just, he's, I can't say enough great things about him. Um, just being able to, even for one year, just being able to talk to him and meet him and just figure out why who why he's the way he is what what makes him tick why you know his routine and things like that but um so yeah the first literally the first day i go in and sign my contract um two about three days after the draft i'm in the auditorium with all the other rookies we're talking and stuff like that and you know i played some of them in college and played against them and we're just talking and whatever and he walks in and i freeze (laughs) Like, like I, I just, I just froze. Right. And so one of my friends caught it and he's like, bro, what are you doing? Snap out of it, bro. Like he's, he's, he's going to be your teammate. I'm like, Oh yeah. Right. So like I, I called him for the first two weeks. I called him Mr. Manning while we were on the field. Like every time oh, like, all right, no we're going to swing. Right. All right, Mr. Manning. All right, Mr. Manning. He's like, he's like, yeah, call me Eli. He kept call, saying, call me Eli, call me Eli, call me Eli. And I'm, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. Manning, like kept saying that like for two weeks and it wasn't for two weeks until I actually said like, yeah, all right, Eli, I didn't feel comfortable saying that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, yeah, man, you are playing with guys like him, guys like, you know, uh, guys like Janoris Jenkins and guys that I watched growing up uh, who played for the Giants. Uh, Sterling Shepard is a guy I watched uh, in, in college who was, you know, with the Giants. Um, and so, yeah, guys like that who I saw, uh, playing for the Giants, uh, I, you know, it was just unbelievable to be able to play with them and train with them and to still have a, a relationship with them, you know, outside of it. So it, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Mate, I bet, oh, playing, like getting to train with you here, I think that's everybody's dream, especially at your hometown team. Now, being your first year rookie, there's there's always stories of rookies having to carry the senior teammates bags and all that did you have any stories like that <laughs> my, my my so my group shout out to my first running back group they were actually the coolest guys that i could have had a rookie could have had they weren't really they weren't really i mean every now and then like if it was a long day of camp i would carry everybody's thing but that was very rare like they were very very cool I mean, the only thing I had to do was get food. And it was like Chick-fil-A, Popeye's, and I would go and get their orders. And I always had it on time and they exactly what everybody wanted. And that was that. I knew that was what came with the turf. I mean, I knew as a freshman I had to do it. Um, and and that, was, that was just what it was. So I knew that. But they were really cool. I've heard stories from guys who, you know, I know that we were rookies at the same time who've had worse stories than I had. And I, some of them I can't even share and cause I sworn, <laughs> I sworn, I sworn secrecy. So I, but me, for me, nah, it was all PG. 
my, they they were really cool. They they did a lot. They they taught a lot more than they you know try to you know rule with the iron fist. They really taught me you know how to go about this NFL thing, how to go about you know dealing with certain things and routines and how to study for prepare for a game and things like that. You know, so that so big shout out to the, to the, my running backs, my veteran running backs in that room. They really took care of me and grew me up in, in the game. And I, I definitely indebted to them for that. Yeah, moving on to your debut now. I believe it was against Washington wow. uh, at uh, at the home ground. Uh, so, can you tell us about that amazing feeling, just walking out in front of those uh, thousands and thousands of screaming fans, and yeah, just the whole feeling. Yeah, so it was a packed game. Uh, I had I hadn't played uh, in MetLife. Well, besides the preseason game, I haven't played a game in MetLife since my senior year of high school when we played state championship. So that's usually where they they are. The big state championships are at MetLife in uh, New Jersey, and um, and so going out there again, it was kind of. I wasn't really nervous. I was kind of just. I was really excited. I had to tell myself to relax. You know, I had to calm down. You know, I was. I was really excited. I was pacing back and forth. I was just. I had this this extra energy, and because uh, I was just excited to, just to see how it was going to go. I was excited to see how things were going to work. Right. So I, you know, go in there and I'm running and, you know, doing pretty well. So I was, and after the game, my coach was like, Hey, you're doing pretty well. You did a lot better than I thought you would for a guy who, <laughs> you know, just had a week to prepare a rookie just had a week to prepare, you know, going in. And, and, you know, so you did a lot of better than we thought. I, I didn't know whether to take that as like a compliment or a, <laughs> a slight, but, but I took it, I, I, I took it like as a compliment and kept going, but yeah. we'll get the positives. We'll get the positives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just sat back and said, yeah, all right, I, thanks. I appreciate it. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a great experience. It was, it was fun, man. We won and it, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was, it was awesome. We were on a little, little streak and we were doing well and, you know, so yeah, it was it was a great it was a great first experience being out there, and um, you know, obviously right after that you go right you run right back to your phone to see who saw it, who hit you up on Instagram, who, and it was like it was flooded. Every it was like I was like I don't know like a, a, a rock star or something, but you know, I just went out there and, and played the game, and it was cool. It was it was there's a lot of energy. It's a different level of energy in the NFL game than it was for for college. You know, and it's just yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, over here in Australia, like normally when somebody plays their first game, like they get like either like a Gatorade shower, that they get their like first jumper presented. Did the Giants do anything like that for you? Oh, my my so my running back, my vets, the veterans, they were happy. Uh, they were they were hyped that I was out there playing well, and they it's a little different in football. They kind of grab you and rough you up, but that's like their way of getting <laughs> excited for you. They just rough you up. You know, you've already spent an hour getting roughed up by the defense. They're gonna rough you up some more for playing for playing well. So that's kind of how that worked. But they were excited. We went out to dinner afterwards. We won and went out to dinner together. And I, I ended up having to pay for it because I was a rookie. But I mean, it was, but it was all right. It was cool. It was cool. We we, we won, so it was all right. It was all right. Uh, that sounds so unfair. Like you're the rookie. And they're like the veterans. They're probably earning millions, and they make oh, you pay for dinner. It's it's, un, it's <laughs> unbelievable how the how the economics work in the NFL. Like you're the lowest on the totem pole, but you have to pay. So yeah, I, I never got it, but hey, everybody had to do it. So you know. But I swear it's like that a lot. Like among your mates, like it's always the mates with the most money never shout. The mates with no money, they always shout yeah, your beers on night outs and yeah. stuff. You know how it goes, man. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, L- Lockie mentioned the Gatorade shower there. 
I'm presuming Gatorade exists in the States, uh, just like a sports drink and that, like uh, on your debut, your first game uh, in the AFL, Aussie rules, uh, the first gamer will go into the middle, uh, all the players in a big huddle, they'll sing the team song and like throw uh, bottles of Gatorade <laughs> pork, bottles of Gatorade all over the player in the middle. It's a weird tradition, but look it up if you're in the States and listening to this and a bit curious about that. Um, but a question I've got to ask you actually is, NFL is just like a worldwide thing. Obviously, it's got fans across the globe. Uh, do when you're uh, playing your games and uh, when you're in an NFL team, do you realise the scale and the global uh, scale of the league and the sport? Yeah. So you get so it's crazy. You get fans. Well, for it's different because it's, it's NFL is worldwide, but there's like certain teams that have a deeper connect than other teams, right? So, and the Giants just happen to be one of them. When you're in New York, that media market is worldwide. Like, it's 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 just, everybody knows New York. Like, regardless of where you're from, you can you can point out where New York is. Everybody knows New York. <laughs> Either been there or want to be there. So, um, yeah, we'll get fans from Brazil. We'll get fans from Australia. We'll get fans from, you know, Canada, Germany, everywhere. They're saying, yeah, Giants. And they, they're talking in their language. I don't know <laughs> what they're saying, but I, they're saying Giants. And I'm like, all right, cool. Hopefully you're not saying screw the Giants. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they're, they're, they're showing their support. So, yeah, it's got a huge worldwide reach. It's got a huge worldwide reach. Um, and, it's, and, it, and it's expanding, you know, which is awesome. I mean, hopefully one day, well, hopefully one day football becomes an Olympic sport. You know what I'm saying? Like that would be the, that would be the greatest thing ever. And so, but yeah, football is expanding. It's, it's expanding and it's, it's good for the game. It, it's good for the game. Yeah, 100%. Now, jump forward. So it's your third game. You're playing New England Patriots right. at New England. Right. And you make your first start. Like, what was that like to get to start the Man. game, especially against the champs? Like, it was, it was, it was, it was exciting. I was, I was overly excited. Uh, a little too excited, I would say, looking back to that game. Because, um, I, like I said, I don't get nervous. I get excited. And I have to kind of tell myself to relax. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my biggest thing is just, yo, just relax. You know? And so I was really excited. It was a quick turnaround from the, the Vikings game. We played on Thursday. We played on Sunday, and then we ended up having to play on Thursday. So, you know, you're playing. It's quick. It's But you got the Patriots on the road. Hey, it is what it is. This, this is the NFL. Make it happen, right? So is, is that one of the toughest trips, New England at New England? Would that be one of the t- toughest away trips? Yeah, that that trip is is that crowd was packed. It was loud. The lights are not as bright. It's kind of like they're not dim, but they're kind of like it's looked like you're entering like a, a some type of like I don't even know, like some type of coliseum where like the tigers, the lions, and tigers are going to come out and try to devour yeah. you and stuff like that. Like it was, <laughs> it had that kind of feel to it, right? And then you see like the championship banners. It, 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 they definitely, they definitely um, put, they definitely orchestrate that stadium, architect that stadium as an intimidation factor. They, they're trying to intimidate. Like when Tom Brady runs out, the lights get dark. He's got his own entrance. Like you know what I'm saying? And people, if you look around, many rookies, you, we, all of us rookies, are looking around, like what the hell is it? You know what I'm saying? Like and then Tom yeah. Brady ran out, and they're like, oh okay, like I, I get it. So. <laughs> That so yeah, it was it was exciting. It was exciting, but yeah, you're playing the champs, and you you know I gotta relax and try to play well and and figure out you know how to to make some plays even within you know being shorthanded as a team you know with injuries and stuff like that. But 
you know, this being my first start, just trying to make it seem like it's not my first start, you know, just go out there and play and, and you know, try your best to make plays and show effort and, and do the things that, you know, you ultimately, that ultimately got you here, you know. Yeah, now we'll touch on your other ventures that you're getting into uh, in a sec, but obviously a free agent now. Are you trying to get back into the NFL? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm getting interest right now from about five teams. I've uh, been having some workouts and, you know, staying in shape, obviously, uh, when getting calls. People, you know, how the league is right now is, you know, when guys get hurt and, or, you know, with the COVID and stuff like that, opportunities present themselves. So, you know, just kind of just staying in shape, really, and just utilizing all the other things, um, you know, taking care of the two businesses that I'm running right now. Uh, but, yeah, football is my main – that's my main source. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, ever going to be too, you know, detached from football until I'm old, old, where I can't do it anymore. You know what I'm saying? But even then, I want to coach and watch and, you know, you know, do that. But, um, yeah, obviously still, still training, still staying in shape, still staying sharp for, you know, that call. Cause it's unexpected. It happens really. You can be literally in the grocery store, you get a call like, yeah, we need you to come down here and, you know, see something. And that's kind of how it works. So, you know, just kind of staying in shape and staying ready. Now you might not be able to answer this, but would you mind saying what teams are interested in you at the moment? I got to stay, that's got to be confidential. Man. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. I, thought, yeah. I, thought, I, thought, I thought that might be the case, but how does it, do you have to be careful because you're still trying to get into an NFL team with COVID around? Like, do you have to pretty much stay in your house just to make sure that you don't get it in case that call comes? Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, been really proactive with it going every, every week or so, every two weeks or so going to, you know, the, clinics and things like that and just taking tests swab tests or blood tests and you know they've all been negative they've all been negative i've been you know doing the right things masked up and stuff like that and just being smart with the i'm hanging i've been hanging around the same people my best friends and my family that's that's really and, and the people that i train with at the facility that i train with in new jersey and um so that's the really the only places i've been you know going um but yeah man I, you really gotta kind of you know be weary because i mean you may get a workout and if you're positive then all right well you got to stay there and you can't work out and so that's kind of you kind of ruined your opportunity so you gotta you know be smart you gotta stay healthy physically you know body and everything but you gotta be you know kind of just be ready in all facets and that's just part of being a professional you know just being ready at a moment's notice yeah uh an issue that's been making news in Australia with Australian sport and in the NFL is the whole issue of concussion in the sport. Obviously, NFL, uh, a pretty brutal sport uh, when it gets down to it. So can you talk to us about your views over what's going on in the NFL with concussion at the moment? With concussions, man. Uh, so, so the concussions from years past, when I've heard from older players, is that the NFL has been doing has, it's leaps and bounds a better job than they have been in the years past. Um, there's a lot of, from the technology to the information to just the preventative tactics, uh, kind of trying to take away, just like in, just like a simple thing, like take away ejecting players for head-to-head contact, like kind of trying to police that thing. So kind of making it not, uh, not really something that players would, not something that's encouraged, not something that making players want to do it so freely. You know, now you're thinking about it a little bit, you know, you're, you're playing with better techniques, better fundamentals, uh, in practice, you're not hitting as much, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of saving, you know, the players a little bit with that. 
But yeah, concussions have been as, as somebody who's had a concussion. Um, concussions ha- are, are definitely part of the sport. They're part of sports. Period. I mean, you hit your head and you bang your head the wrong way, and you just wake up and you're you know you're in a different place. And so it's. Uh, but the NFL has done a great job as far as you know working with the players. Uh, as far as working towards making it a safer game. Still, you know, violent, still fast, still physical, but kind of taking some of the things out of it to make it a little safer, you know, for players that to play the game. Yeah. Now, obviously, as a black man in the States, uh, you probably have a more uh, closer connection to us than the whole taking in anything in the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. the taking in the NFL, of course. So, um, obviously, America has been making news over here for some crazy stuff going on. Right. Uh, but can you first talk to us about maybe the taking the knee stance and the whole politics around that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's starting to become... So when Cap did it a while ago, it was um, it was for, you know, the, the unfair treatment of, of Black people in America and all across the world, uh, the police brutality. And just ultimately, there wasn't much accountability being uh, put on these these officers who were stepping outside of their badge, right? And so at the time, we just weren't America, for whatever reason, the world just wasn't ready for it. You know, the NFL, we just weren't ready for it. And so now it's become a thing where people are starting to see. I, it's, it's, it, a lot of these things are alarming. A lot of these things, is, it, a lot of these issues are, are being documented on camera visually. You're seeing it every day, right? Every other day in different places. So now people are starting to sit back and say, well, hey, maybe. He's not as crazy as, you know, he they made him out to see, right, during that time. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's definitely something that it, something that needed to be ha- – it's something that needed to happen. Um, it's something that needed to happen. It, it's something – it's just like, you know, you have to have those uncomfortable conversations. I mean, during that time, that knee was very uncomfortable. And I, I think at the time it was misconstrued. A lot of people thought it was disrespect to the soldiers. You know, respect to the veterans. But then there were some veterans that were like, no, that was part of what, why we fought for democracy, for freedom of speech. He's protesting something that's wrong. We fought for that. So and if anything, he's respecting what we're doing. <laughs> like he's respecting and using, you know, the freedoms that we fought for, you know. And so that's ultimately what it is. And, and it's never been about the flag. It was it's never been about the flag. It's just been about, you know, what we're dealing with as black people in America, what we're dealing with. And we feel that for whatever reason, you know, the, the star spangled banner and, and the, you know, the pledge of allegiance isn't a hundred percent true in our case, because it's not freedom and justice for all, you know, cause we're part of the all and it's, it's, we're not, we're not getting the same treatment. So a lot of people take a need to that because they feel like, well, I don't pledge allegiance to that because you know, they're not America isn't pledging allegiance to me. You know what I'm saying? So that that's kind of how that whole thing feels. But yeah, it's 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 going out throughout sports. You see it on the on the helmet decals and the jerseys, and you see it in the NBA, and you know you see it in you know the MLB. You see it in all sports, you know, because people watch sports. You know, so they see that it opens it it opens up it opens up the mind. You see it, it draws attention to it, which ultimately is going to create a conversation. Which ultimately is all we're asking for is create a conversation, educate yourself. And figure out what you can do to go out and do something to make a change. You know what I'm saying? And that's just ultimately what what was was being done. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, it's an issue that I've been following really closely because my I've actually got cousins in America who are Native American. Mm. And so one of my cousins, Genevieve, um, her boyfriend, Anthony, he's African-American. And so he was going to the protest because they just had a son together. And he's like, well, I got to go do this. You know, I need this change. You know, um, Kion, he's going to have to grow up this world and I, want, and I want him to be safe in it. And so it's an issue that was so, I guess, close to them. Have you noticed change over the last couple of months? Or do you think that there will be like this will things will seriously change? I think that it's, I think that the issues in America are deep rooted. I think these issues, now when you think about it, this is, this isn't just from the one, the Black Lives Matter movement started in 2013. This is from 1613. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's like when you, when you're so deep in your stuck in your ways, they say you don't get stuck in your ways. If you do something the same for five years, you're stuck in your ways. Try 400. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that means you're, you're, you're set. You got, you're so set in your ways that you've taught others like you to be that same way who have taught others to be that same way. So with that being said, um, and I try to keep a positive approach. My father, one of the smartest men I know, he's always told me, John, think, see the glass half full. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. You drank half of the glass, but you still have some left. You know what I'm saying? And always see the positive side. And yes, you, I'm starting to see initiative. I'm starting to see an effort. I'm starting to see, you know, uh, some type of something. But I, we still got a long way to go. We, we still got a long way to go. Because um, when I see change, I'll see one act of humanity where, hey, you have some hope. And then you see five more. It's just like, ah. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, it's there, but it, it's, you know what I'm saying? It, it still has a long way to go, but there has been some change. I can't, I can't say that we're, we're just completely have failed. Uh, we're, there has been some change. There has been dialogue five years ago, 10 years ago, this, you would never see black lives matter on a, on a basketball thing. You would never see people pushing to go vote. You would never see um, this initiative so large in America as it is now. You know, it's just like the, it feels like the neo-civil rights movement. Like, that's what my grandmother told me the other day. She lived through it. And so this is like the neo-civil rights movement. It's like, it's just like, wow, she was taken back from it. So there has been some changes, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah, obviously, like, people's rights shouldn't be a political thing at all, <laughs> really. But this sadly all ties into the election, which is coming up, and we'll right. be releasing this just before the election. So what are uh, your thoughts and the country's thoughts just around the whole state uh, of the states uh, coming up to this uh, crucial election? Right, right. Um, yeah, just every there is initiative to vote. Voting now is like, at this point in time, everybody is like, it's everything. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's the, it's the biggest thing. It's the thing to do, right? You look, you can't go on social media without seeing a register to vote thing. You can't go on Snapchat. You can't go on Instagram. You can't go on Facebook without seeing, oh yeah, have you registered to vote? You know what I'm saying? So at this point, it's like, if you didn't want to vote, you just didn't want to do it. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, there is, it's a big, it's, it's, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal in the country and everybody is pushing towards the idea of voting because we know how important it is now. When you're seeing these things, when you're seeing these things happen, when you're seeing these issues within the state, when you're seeing these issues within your country, right, 
And there's certain people at the heads of these con- of this of this whole thing that it's happening during that time. You're seeing the importance of okay, well, we got to put the people in power that have the best interests of the majority of of all people, not just the majority of all people, right? And so we know how serious that is, and that's like the the biggest agenda of our country right now is voting. And I would obviously the mistreatment of, you know, black and brown and indigenous and all the people, all the minority in, in America. But right now it's, you gotta vote. <laughs> Everybody, you can't go down the street. You can, you'll go two houses. We won't go two houses without saying vote, 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 vote. So yeah, that's, it, it's huge, man. It's huge right now. It's big. It's at an all time high. Um, I don't remember it being this big in my lifetime. I know my parents can probably say something different. I know my grandparents can say something different, but it, it's huge, man. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. In Australia, we actually have compulsory voting. So we have to vote. If we don't vote, we get fined. Ooh, so we don't wow. have a choice whether, whether to vote or not. It's, I don't think it's too much. It's like 20 or $50, but yeah, so we have to vote over here. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> that's that's that's, that's yeah. something I didn't. I never knew that. A lot yeah. of people would have got fined. A lot of people would have got fined in America. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's yeah. just like us and maybe Argentina or something, and like a, p- a few Pacific Island countries. So, yeah, but it's something that most people agree is a good thing over here. But I want to move on. Speaking of the election, Donald Trump, one of the most divisive and one of the most talked about uh, figures <laughs> in history. Uh, you either love him or you hate him. Uh, I'm not the greatest fan of him myself. Uh, I think Lockie's the same. What are your views on him? Uh, I mean, me, I don't, I don't get too deep into who he is. I just, because I, I, me, I, I think politics in the news is, is probably two of the most depressing things <laughs> that you can really view. Um, I will say that. <clears throat> And this is probably the only thing I will say, because I don't really have many nice yeah. things to say. But <laughs> um, I would say that he's just, you know, he's just somebody who runs runs the country how he sees fit. He runs the country how he sees fit. He does what he, he does what he feels is in the best interest of the people. He does what he feels what he feels himself is the best interest of the people. Now a lot of people may feel like um you know not really the right way myself but <laughs> it, you know he, he does what he feels is you know right he, he you know he speaks what he feels and he does everything for what he feels and you know if, if that's how it is that's how it is but that's just really how i feel about that i can't <laughs> i can go on all day about it but i don't want to get frustrated. <laughs> i don't want to get frustrated man so i'm just yeah. gonna say that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there many people around where you live? Uh, I think your area, I think, uh, might be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably one of the more progressive areas in the States. Are there many uh, big, like, Trump fans, or does Trump have rallies around where you live? Oh, where I live. Um, so, where I'm from, no, because it's predominantly black. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, you see it. I mean, you see it in New Jersey. New Jersey is one of the wealthiest states in in America. So, yeah, you'll see it. I mean, you know, usually, usually. Now, I'm not saying because I'm not a political expert. Not pretty, pretty much people can watch and be like, oh, he's a. But usually, 
Wealthier people vote Republican, usually. Usually. Not all yeah. the time. Yeah. So you will see, so you're going to usually get, so a lot of the time, people might not, because I have friends who are Trump supporters just based off of business. Not even just, I don't like this guy, I like this guy. And then ultimately, so ultimately people would just say, well, I don't like you then. You're a Trump supporter. I don't like you. You're racist. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And well, you know, a lot of times like, well, I don't really like him as a person, but I just, I mean, a lot of his policies go with what I'm trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you see a lot of people like that in mostly in Jersey, a lot of people like that. Um, and then, but then there's some people who just, you know, who just, who think a certain way, they just think a certain way and they're cool with, you know, what he's cool with and they just align with him 200%. And that's just them. And I, you know, Hey, if you think like that, that's my only thing. My mentality is with it is look, you think that way? Okay, cool. I'm not going to, look at you any different my thing is is just what do you do with that like don't you can say what you want just don't harm me don't harm my family don't harm my friends or you're gonna get a pretty negative reaction from me <laughs> rightfully so anybody would feel the same way about that but yeah i mean for to answer your question you see a lot of those out in new jersey you do see a lot of those and you know that's what people feel that they you know, that, that they align with and power to them. Okay, now we're going to move on to um, your music. So you've got a three-song pack that's coming out soon and then you've got something else, oh, uh, something politics, sorry, you yeah. posted on your Instagram the other day and then you got right. your EP coming out in December. Yeah. Do you just want to talk about a little bit about your music, what sort of music it is as well as maybe some of the influences on your music? Yeah, 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 man. So we're getting it, um, it's going to get back into the studio five years, man, half a decade. <laughs> I'm putting, putting some music out. I'm excited about it. Um, you know, the so the three-song pack, Long Overdue, it's three songs, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, two songs where it's kind of, you know, it's one song's more of an upbeat type of jam where, you know, you kind of, but it's lyrical, but the whole thing is lyrical. I'm, I'm singing on two songs. And so it's kind of just like a, I'm back into it really thing is what I'm releasing. It's supposed to come out later on tonight or early toward to, uh, 12, 1201 tomorrow, uh, Saturday. I don't know what time that is for you guys, but it'll be out. <laughs> it'll be out. <laughs> you know, you'll you'll be able to get it. It'll be all, on all streaming platforms, and I'll make a big announcement about it. But yeah, it's just a three song pack. Who you know, just kind of letting people know you know I'm back out with it, and just you know, songs to kind of just you listen to, and you know, some of them is about some lyrics and things are about things that I've experienced in my life, so things that I am experiencing, and. Uh, things that I, you know, are, are looking to experience, right? And so, uh, positively. And so, yeah, it's, it's very lyrical. It's very lyrical. I mean, I listen to a lot of my, you asked about, you talked about influence. I, my, a lot of my influences, uh, so my top five favorite rappers ever, like, and usually you probably hear some of them my rap, is uh, Jay-Z's my my first. That's my, I, I'm, anything Jay-Z makes, I'm going to listen to, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Nobody say, and all of it to me is good. Um, ice cube is my second, which a lot of people raise, I raise his eyebrows cause ice, you go from Jay-Z to ice cube. It's like, but for me, ice cube, he, he is more the author and the influence of my second pack politically incorrect. That's going to come out after long overdue. But and I'll talk He's a little so bit. He's so talented though. He, yeah. Like, he acting like yeah. man. That yeah. That, that's, and he, he, him <laughs> as a person, as far as the whole, 
you know, well-roundedness. I got, I, I, he influenced me on that. The third person my, is uh, T.I. T.I. is my third favorite ever. I, I just love his confidence. Like he came out and said, I'm the king of the South. Before he had a platinum album, he said that. <laughs> With people in the South, like Cash Money Records and, and No Limit Records, who are selling millions and millions and millions of, of, of albums in the South before his time. I'm the king now. And he went like, out and he proved it. No, I guess you need that confidence, though, if you're going to get into the music. like You need that confidence in that. It's, it's a, music is, I tell the artists that I'm working with now, it's, it's a law of attraction. If you are, I don't care if it's like nursery rhyme, you're like, I don't care if it's twinkle, twinkle, little star. If you're rapping yeah. it and you rap it a certain way and you feel it to a certain point, like this is really, really good. You got to have at least a few people like, okay, I see what you're, he's kind of crazy. I'm kind of crazy enough <laughs> to, to, to feel what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, his confidence is definitely something and it's worked for him over the years and his longevity is, is, is obviously that. My fourth favorite rapper is Snoop Dogg. I love the fact that Snoop Dogg is just unbelievably unique and original. I love the fact that he can just freestyle at a drop of a hat. That's something that I'm, I use in my creative process, being in the studio with other artists. And just We just put on beats and we just freestyle. We just loop them and we just freestyle. And if you like something that you said, you write it down. <laughs> you yeah. write it down, you write it down, and you make sure you, until you get a whole 16, and like, all right, go in there and record it. <laughs> and you go in there, <laughs> and then we just freestyle, and then at the end, we make a hook and say, okay, we're going to call it that song. That's it. That's the hook. You know what I'm saying? So Snoop Dogg and his longevity, he's another guy that's talented, acted, and he's done a bunch of different things. And how he's able to just, I think me and Snoop are kind of, as far as personality-wise, we, we kind of, intertwined with that is the ability to be cool with everybody you know ability to be able to reach a lot of different people like i i mean i don't think i would if i weren't able to do that i would be on a podcast with people from australia <laughs> like i would i would be like i would be like what like that wouldn't even make sense like i'm a, I'm a black american man from the inner city of america like, i'm talking to people from australia like i wouldn't so it's like people like snoop Dogg who kind of opened my eyes to be you know that you know, to be able to reach a lot of different people and have a positive message and put and and also put out some pretty good music, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, obviously, Snoop Dogg's catalog is, you know, unrivaled. And the third and the last guy, well, for me, I mean, he's not, I wouldn't say in any particular order, but for me personally, it's Tupac. I mean, Tupac, he's just, his energy, his confidence, he's all those people in one. I and mean, they all would say that. Um, Tupac Shakur, along with Tupac Shakur, he was political, he was rash, he was confident, he was a lover boy at one time. You didn't know who Tupac was. He was so <laughs> versatile. And I think that's that's myself uh, in a nutshell. I mean, I'm somebody who, I know the foundation of who I am, but I have just so many different layers. You know, you, you can hang out with these people, hang out with these people, this right here, this right here, do this, you know, it can be energetic, can be this, can be that, can be political, can be, so, and he's also another uh, artist that influenced the politically incorrect um, pack that's coming out after the the pack that's coming out t- tomorrow. So yeah, those are my those are my influences and a lot, but a lot of new age artists now like J Cole. Well, not, well, not new age, but guys that are out now like J Cole. Obviously, to Drake in there too. Obviously, uh, Kendrick Lamar. Love Kendrick Lamar. Uh, he's just he's my second guy right now under Meek yeah. Mill which is like my top dog. I mean, that's, I mean, that's me is, 
you don't even gotta say nothing. You already know, like me saying Meek Mill, you just knew, like, oh yeah. Like he just he, that's my dude. I love Meek, man. He just raps about what he's been through, he raps about what he's going. And there's a lot of similarities in how I wanna, you know, portray the message as well. But yeah, a whole lot of a whole lot of and then you got some new school guys. I, I don't know if you heard of him, uh Kyle. He's a, he came out with the project the other day, um, which is really good. I listened to him. I listened to Saint I'll have John. To check that out. Yeah, I listened to. It's called. Uh, yeah, it's called. Um, ah, I forgot something about being famous. <laughs> something about being famous. Like you, you're you're gonna know me when I'm famous or something like that. It's this new project. Yeah. Kyle. His name is just Kyle, and I listened to it. It's unbelievable. Uh, Saint John is another guy. I followed Saint John a while ago because I found out he was Guyanese. I said, okay, cool. I'm Guyanese. I got to listen to him. Yeah. And I found out he was really good. You know, those new age guys. I love Lil Yachty. Obviously, Lil Uzi's really good. Um, Lil Baby's really good gunning. So a lot of those guys with that, like, that type of flow, the Migos, of course, uh, with that, you know, that type of flow is, is on some of the later projects and stuff like that. But, but at the end of the day, I'm a 90s guy. Uh, I love lyrics. I love beats. I love beats that don't make you move, but I love to rap lyrics that'll make you think, that'll make you go back and say, what did he just say? Let me just, wow, that was a crazy lyric. You know what I'm saying? Like my lyrics are something that I believe that is, that you got to replay. You got to hear it again and rewind and say, did he just say that? Like that is kind of the, 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 um, the, the, the idea and the, the response that I want when people hear my song. Obviously I want you to bob your head I want to make you move. I want to make you laugh sometimes. Sometimes you want to have some thought-provoking stuff that may make you cry. Um, but at the end of the day, I want you to think. That's ultimately what I want at the end of all that. I want you to think and not just take my word for it, but inspire you to think for yourself and have your own perspective and say, okay, hey, you know, he might be right. Let me let me, let me see that and let me read back into that and see what they're really talking about here. And so... That's that's for the but that's ultimately but for the three pack it's just you know upbeat song two pretty good songs that you know I'm happy about freestyles that I'm pretty excited about and um yeah mate hundred percent it's I I get what you mean like completely it's funny two of the main I guess rap and hip hop artists I listen to which I think really get me to think you haven't actually mentioned but I love Childish Gambino and Vince mm. Staples I think those two guys so talented like all like. Uh, yeah. Particularly Gambino because he can, like how he's just got like funk how he started with his rap that he sort of moved to more funk and hip hop and soul and then also Vince though because I love how he just like raps over like beats and like man he's just like so diverse like those yeah. two are two that I just love listening to. I actually took so what that you the fun that you said that I actually took Charlie Gambino's idea actually like a remake of the freestyle that he had all i don't know if you remember from his 2016 little album it's like an all y'all freestyle and it was a timberland beat uh that he freestyled on he sang afterwards and i literally was like ever since i heard that song i, was like, I gotta do that i gotta do that, I gotta do that <laughs> song so i'm finally like four years later i finally was like you know what i got the studio time i got the studio we're here let's do it you know what i'm saying and so i kind of was freestyling over it for a while and i was writing down lyrics as i'm freestyling coming up with different lines and i said oh i got about 32 bars cool so i said boom go out there rap it and i sing at the end and i was like man i like this you know what i'm saying so 100%. that's kind of and that's and that's the song it's called it's uh that's a third of free verse it's called it's the last one on the uh, tape it's called um neo renaissance man and it's 
pretty much explains childish, just like myself. Yeah. Oh. Childish writes plays, he writes, he raps, oh. he acts, he does comedy, he does everything. Co- like, oh, you know he's so talented. Yeah, man. And so I kind of myself, I'm, you know, I, I ball, rap, I write, sing at times, uh, business owner, uh, photographer. You know what I'm saying? So I do a lot of different things. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, okay, well, I'm this neo renaissance man, and this song is dedicated to everybody who does more than one thing you know what i'm saying and so that that is kind of something it's funny that you said that childish is definitely definitely a influence of mine as well i i, I i'm oh. unbelievable thinking about i left him off the list <laughs> he's somebody that he's somebody that I, that influences me too so we we definitely share that yeah oh mate i, got, I was so lucky i got to see him last year wow, and i nice. just oh dude like Seeing him live was amazing. Like, what are some of the? I'd just like to ask. Like, what are probably some of the best live performances you've seen with your music, as well as like, how do you th- think that your music? Because obviously, you'd want to play it live. Because I feel like that's the pinnacle of music: getting right. to perform in front of people and getting to see them react. Like, right. how do you want to take that going forward? So down the road, so most, so obviously, my expectation with you know football is to be back in the football, of course, but. Um, during the off seasons, most of the time when I will be doing, you know, performing, cause I, I love music. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, it's not college where I got to just, I have people telling me that I know you can't do music. You got to do it at school and you got to play football. Now I'm, I'm, the, I'm the owner of my own brand, you know what I'm saying? You know, so I can, you know, go out and do certain things, you know, right. So to a certain extent, but go out and perform and stuff like that. And, you know, have performances, have stuff. My dream, so my ultimate dream with all of this is to be in the NFL and to have a platinum album. That's my dream. (laughs) To be a pro ball player with a platinum album, right? And to be able to perform at at, uh, Coachella, perform at, well, when Coachella comes comes back, (laughs) perform at these big, perform, I want to perform at the BET Awards. I want to perform you know, at those places, have a song that like songs that are so big that people say, oh, come perform at such oh. and such. Like that would, that would be awesome. People would be like, doesn't he play ball? But like, no, nah, he raps, he's really good. <laughs> you know, so that, that, that's ultimately what I would want. Uh, ultimately the biggest dream of mine, but yeah, as far as taking it, obviously got to start small, but as far as taking it, yeah, I'm, during the off season, just going to different places, obviously, hopefully with, you know, COVID kind of slows down at that point where it's safe people to congregate together and you know go in and have performances but it's like have performances and things like that um and even now it's the virtual thing right how we're doing it so you have a performance where it's like you got a big screen of like thousands of thousands of thousands of different people checking in and listening and you know vibing to your music so that you know i would definitely be open to that uh, but yeah, like going on like small tours and things like that, that would be cool. I, w- I would love to do that hundred percent. I would love to do that as far as, as well as taking the artist, um, you know, that I'm working with on tour and opening for people oh. and things like that. Like, that would be, that would be cool. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our famous last segment, uh, the famous last segment, it's got a bit of an Australian American theme this time, but something I want to ask when, like, if I came over to America and I said to someone, "Oh, I'm Australian," what's their, uh, what, what kind of judgments are they making about me? What, what kind of person do you reckon they think I am? What's the stereotype of, of Australians? Of Australian, yeah, yeah. Oh, accent. Accent, <laughs> right? The accent is big. The accent is big. You know what I'm saying? Like mate and Aussie, and you know what I'm saying? And, 
things like that. Cause I have, I have Australian friends. I have two friends that I was I have a couple, my roommate in college at Rutgers, my housemate in college at Rutgers was Australian. Had a, so I have a good, I have pretty good ties with Australian people. And every person, Australian person I've come across has always been a phenomenal uh, experience. So I could definitely say that my, so me personally, my pre it was, it was like, yeah, these people are going to be cool. And they got have a, a dope, a, a great accent. I love the Australian accent. I love it <laughs> so much. Um, I try to practice it, but I don't want to be disrespectful to you guys. And like, <laughs> no, nah, give, like give it, give it a go. Yeah, give us your best, give us your best Aussie accent. Uh, <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on. All right, mate. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to 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 try to be as Australian as I can. But you know, yeah, it's, not bad. it's not bad. It's not bad. No, it's fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, like stuff like that. I love. I, I'm always. I have a good amount of Australian friends. So I think my my pre notion was coming. I know these people are going to be cool. They're going to be welcoming. They're going to be awesome. They're going to be open to a lot of different things. And, and you know, so it's, it's going to be a good time. So that's ultimately my my personal, uh, you know, prejudgment of, of Australian people, that they're really good people. So, yeah. Now, uh, it's been a long one, so I think we'll move on to our last segment. Jonathan, I'm not sure if you've listened to the show before, but we like to do a bit of a quiz. So it's going to be you up against Lockie. I'm going to be giving you five questions that are very vaguely related to your career. So you ready to go? Yeah, yeah, let's go. We'll do it. I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, your name's your buzzer, so uh, if you want buzzing, just say John or Lockie or whatever, and yeah, we'll get going. So uh, first one, this is the closest to the pin question. What is the combined population of USA and Australia? Lockie, Lockie. I'm going to say 370 million. 370 million. John, what's your guess? Uh, the combined, I would say, two. I would say, one point five billion. One point five billion is a bit far off. So Lockie's closest. It's three hundred fifty-seven million. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. We only far have twenty off. million in Australia. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 Wow. wow. Yes, twenty-five insane. million, something like that. So America had taken up most of that. Really, one point yeah. five billion, <laughs> some way yeah. off there, yeah. Matt. But. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, Lockie's 1-0 up, so we'll move to question two. So, obviously, your name, Jonathan Hilleman. So, uh, hilly, obviously, part of that name. So, what part of speech or type of word is hilly, if you know your English grammar? Hilly. Hilly, hilly. Hyphen? Hyphen is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to have a go, John? Uh... <laughs> I have no idea. This is part of my name. This is bad. Uh, yeah, I was going to say hyphen too. Yeah, so I'm wrong as well. <laughs> well, I can tell you, if you don't want to have a guess, it's an adjective. Wow. An yeah. adjective. What type of, what type, what kind of, what, what is it? What is so it it's like, it, it's describing something. So like the, uh, the hilly suburbs of Melbourne or something like that. Ah, okay. So, okay. Okay. yeah, yeah. I think that question's a bit confusing, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah I that was a tough question. Yeah. I'm back in school. <laughs> that, yeah. Your quiz notorious for being tough, of course. It's the biggest challenge known to man. But anyway, uh, question three. 
So the second half of your last name is Man, obviously. So Man is an uninhabited island in the Nicobar district between the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman Sea. What ocean does Man lie in? We like to make it a bit tricky. So it's between the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman Sea. Bay of Bengal. Oh, lucky. So it's a sea. Um, It's an ocean. Ocean. What ocean? Ocean. Ocean. Well, I don't know many oceans. I'm not going to say. I've got no idea. It's. Not Pacific, is it? That's I'll just say Pacific because that's the only one I can think of. Pacific is incorrect. <laughs> John, do you want to have a go? Um, you w- say, say, so say, it one more, say, the, say, say, the, say the location one more time. So I'll just repeat the question. Man is an uninhabited island in the Nicobar district between the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman Sea. What ocean does it lie in? So you got the, so the Arctic Ocean... The Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Indian. You kind of made a face when I said Arctic. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a guess Arctic. Arctic Ocean is incorrect. Mm. Oh. oh, my God. What was it? What was it? <laughs> I think I was trying to give you a bit of a clue with the Bay of Bengal because that's near India. It's uh, in the Indian Ocean. Oh, my. Yo. Uh, so I had to start trusting my impulses. That's the first thing that I said. I, said, I yeah. feel like this is Indian, but I'm going to try Arctic. <laughs> gotta say, gotta go with your gut, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. So Jeez, but you, you're still in it. You're only one year down, so anything can happen. You never know. Oh, um, yeah. You never know. Yeah. I think you've got the Arctic Ocean, Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean. Indian Ocean, Southern Ocean. I might be missing one. I don't know. Are you guys geography experts? Uh, I might be missing one. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so, uh, John, you were born in 1995. Is that correct? Yes, I was born in 1995. (laughs) Okay. No point for that one. But uh, (laughs) question four, uh, the the 1995 Australian Open men's semifinals were contested only by Americans. So the four people in the semifinals of the Australian Open in tennis were all Americans in the men's uh, draw. Uh, and Andre Agassi won the tournament. So can you name a player that he beat Lockie. on his... Lockie. 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 John McEnroe. John McEnroe is incorrect. <laughs> I'll finish the question. It's the only tennis, American <laughs> tennis player I knew. <laughs> can you name a player that Andre Agassi beat on his run to win the trophy? There were seven. There were seven of them. Name one. Of them. <laughs> I really don't know too much of tennis <laughs> besides Venus and Serena. I'll be completely honest. Um, so the, all the so people I, in the so semifinals were guess, So I will guess Andy Roddick. Andy Roddick. I think Andy Roddick was a bit later than that. Uh, but the one you might have got is Pete Sampras. Uh, you might have heard of him, Pat Rafter, an Aussie guy. You haven't heard of? I know Pat. <laughs> yeah, Pat no Rafter. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, he beat Pete Sampras in the final, and the other ones uh, you guys probably haven't heard of, so I won't mention. But uh, anyway, question you know five. What, you know what, John? I think that these this quiz is just too hard. Like, only one of us has been able to answer a question. This isn't a reflection on us. This is a reflection on the quiz master. Oh, mate, that's yeah, a big claim to make. This is kind of tough, but I mean, yeah, I <laughs> last question. I got to get it right. I got to get it yeah. right. Well, some, some of our guests have uh, done 
hours and hours of prep leading up to the quiz because it's if they win the quiz, it's the biggest achievement they've had in their career. So, uh, uh, but you've still got <laughs> that a chance says more about our guests than the quiz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question five. Uh, you're one nil down, John, but you're still in it because question five is a who am I question. So I'm going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues, uh, and it all leads up to a person. It's a who am I question, and once you buzz in, you can't buzz in again, or once you buzz in and get it wrong, you can't buzz in again until the other person gets it wrong. All clear with that? Clear. Okay, all good. So for five points, uh, and John, you need to get two points to win it outright. Uh, for five points, I was born on the 9th of October, 1940, somewhere in England. I'll move it on. I don't think you're going to be getting it there. So for four <laughs> points, I became involved in the skiffle craze as a teenager, forming my first band in 1956. Mate, Stephen Hawking couldn't get this. Next. <laughs> <laughs> for, three, for three points... I rapidly gained fame in the 1960s alongside fellow people born in my city in northwest England. Should I move it on? Yeah. Rocky looks like he wants to have a go, but I'll move it on for the two-point clue. So, John, you've got to get it here to win it. Uh, if you get it on the one point, we we'll go to a tie break. So for two points, I died on the 8th of December 1980 in New York City. Lockie. Lockie. Are you John Lennon? John Lennon is, get a bit of a drum roll. Correct. Oh, my goodness. That's it. Yo, the crazy thing about it, once before you said died, I was was thinking Paul McCartney. I was thinking along the lines of, like, that group. I forgot he was the, the guy. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> there you go. And the, the oh, one point clue man. was I was part of one of the most famous and successful bands of all time. Yeah. And, one, and yeah, one of the most well known singers, songwriters, and peace activists <laughs> ever to live. John Lennon, of course, with the same first name as you. That's why he's the uh. answer. There you go. Yeah, I, I should have got that. That's, that's rough. But hey, man. <laughs> hey, I was going it, It's home field advantage is a real thing. I mean, I'm no way team, so it's a little tough on the road to win, but. It's all right. I'll make no excuses, man. That's a great win, Lucky, bro. Respect. Uh. <laughs> oh, one question I've got for you, John. Actually, usually I do for the Who Am I, someone who's got the fa- same birthday as the guest, someone's got the same birthday as you, is Prince Charles. Yeah. I was wondering if you know who he is in America, Prince Charles. I don't – I've heard the name. I can't say that I know <laughs> – Actual yeah, things it might have been him. a bit hard. Yeah, yeah. I chose not to do Prince Charles. Thought you might not have gone in, but anyway, I think we'll leave it back there because it's been a long one. So thank you very much, Jonathan Hillman, for coming on the show. Oh no, thank problem. you so much. Thank you for having me. I had an unbelievable time, man. Thank you for having me. Wow, how good was that, Harper? John Hillman, what an amazing, amazing guy to talk to. Yeah, just had an absolute blast, eh? Yeah, mate. Oh, I could talk music with him all day. Yeah, and actually, speaking of his music, uh, we're gonna we did promise to play his music at the end of the show. His newly released track, one of his three new tracks. But before that, Lockie, can you plug the show socials quickly? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook at Where Do We Begin, and you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at WDWB Pod. That is WDWB Pod, and of course, get around us, help us out with a little five star review or just a good review by word of mouth for some of your mates. That's massively appreciated. It really helps the show grow. But Lockie, should we get straight into the song? Yeah, I'm keen to listen. 
Okay, so this track is called 5am in Somerville, but uh, just a quick word of warning, uh, it's got some coarse language in it, so if you are listening with your kids in the car, I don't know why the fuck you'd be doing that, but anyway, <laughs> if you're doing that, uh, just a word of warning, it's got some coarse language, but here it is, 5am in Somerville by John Hillman. Could I lie about the body count? I used to lie around in mama house. Now with these women getting all aroused, they know the money come a higher amounts. They know I've been about it, still the people doubt it. Now they wondering how this shit happened. They know I took a loss, but I bounced back. Cause I moved like a spring in the mattress. I was a young and I wanted the cash, but still I had nothing to go put in the safe. Yeah, I was struggling, living bad. So I got all that push and I made me a play. This with my hitters got cut with the stash. The ones that got hit and got put in the cage. This with my hitters who's moving too fast. The ones that got hit and got put in the grave. We was in high school, we was young niggas. Me and Jay was just in the range. We was in high school stacking funds, nigga. You was working for minimum wage. I should have been a millionaire already, but I was too focused on me getting late. So nowadays, I move like a porn star. All I do is just fucking get paid. Life is a maze. I'm 25 in a month, but me, I'm still finding my way. Put it in ways. I'll probably be there in a month. That's what the directions will say. Niggas will hate. I never listen to them once, especially if he don't play. Nobody save. I eat a rapping nigga's lunch, and then I go force him to pay. Honestly, I'm trying to fly out the country. Ask me a question, don't make an assumption. Niggas like, John boy, how you living? And then turn around and they asking for something Honestly speaking, it's coming in bunches We can talk in it, though, come on, no dumb shit I made a company so I can run shit I need a crib in the hills just to function Cause I be wildin' and movin' silent But them niggas be wildin', I'm movin' violent And my crew was the flyer, so call the pilot But my nigga don't try us, we startin' right Cause we never retreatin' and never hiding. So as soon as we see him, my nigga slide it. All my hitters, I feed them until they giants But you niggas ain't eatin' like on a diet like, fuck what you say, I did it my way You niggas ain't stoppin' the fun I gotta get it today These haters can't see me as if they was watchin' the sun Yeah.